0: Welcome to Oncology Onward, Conversations with Innovators and Changemakers in Cancer Care, a new quarterly podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Maggie Shaw, Senior Editor for the American Journal of Managed Care. Dr. Jeff Patton, CEO and board member of One Oncology and Executive Chairman of Tennessee Oncology, joins host Dr. Emilina Vicky medical director and attending surgeon at NYU Langone, Perlmutter Cancer Center, and Dr. Steven Schleicher, chief medical officer at Tennessee Oncology, for episode three of Oncology Onward. Patton, also the chairman of the Community Oncology Alliance and a board-certified hematologist and oncologist, highlights of the origins of one oncology that it was created to protect community oncology to give other states and communities the opportunity to stay independent in light of large hospital systems if they wanted to. He also discusses the importance of community clinical trial accrual and of keeping oncological services within the community and not handing them over to large hospital systems, thereby driving up the cost of care.
1: Welcome everyone to episode three of our podcast, Oncology Onward: Conversations with Innovators and changemakers in Oncology Care. Today we have an incredible guest, Dr. Patton, who Dr. Schleicher will now introduce.
2: All right, perfect. Thank you, Emmeline. Uh, Jeff, thanks for being here. This is so fun. Fat. So go, rewind five years ago when Emmeline and I are fellows, lost thinking about careers. I had the option to come work with Dr. Jeff Patton and was having coffee with Emmeline, discussing my career plans. I took a bet on Jeff and have never looked back. He's changed my career and we're gonna hear about his career and really how he thinks about cancer care innovation and has made enormous impact over his 20 plus career, including hot off the press, one oncology that just had this huge $2.1 billion acquisition to really change kind of access to cancer care. Um, so Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. you're
3: too kind. i'm I'm uh, humbled to be uh, interviewed by two of the rising stars of oncology. So audience don't get it crazy. Uh, they're the stars. i'm 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 the the ghost of Christmas Pass.
1: <laughs> I don't know about that. All right, well let's let's dive right in. Just to make sure our audience knows what we're talking about, one oncology. Jeff, will you just give us a brief? What is one oncology? Where did it start? Where did this idea come from?
3: So uh, One Oncology is a, a practice management company, right, MCO, uh, that um, focuses mostly on medical oncology. But, um, you know, we take care of uh, all the cancer patients in the community that, that we have access to. And so also um, some practice have radiation oncology, some have g oncology, some have surgery, anything that touches the cancer patient. And one oncology was created by physicians for physicians to maintain the autonomy and allow patients to have the choice of seeing patients in the community versus in a hospital or academic medical center. I think every patient, every family deserves choice. Uh, and uh, in many cases, uh, and most cases, we we'll, we feel like the community option is the best. And so the, what really initiated this is, I, I've been on the COA board for years, our advocacy organization, and we track the number of patients uh, uh, that are now being seen in hospitals as a part, as opposed to the community. So the number of doctors that have left community practice and joined a hospital has accelerated over the years, and so uh, we found that um, distressing. A lot of the doctors, three past COA presidents who are anti-hospital based physicians. Join hospitals because they didn't have any choice economically. It's it's, it's terrible, and so uh, uh, as we saw that trend, um, I was at Tennessee Oncology, and fortunate enough that we um, had a lot of success uh, in both being innovators in clinical trial, innovators clinically, uh, and then we had uh, uh, success uh, in uh, having a lot of market share in our market. So we were able to to be independent, and, and we. We saw the same thing happened in Texas and the same thing happened in Florida. So we really created this MSO to give other states and other communities the option to have enough market clout to stay independent if you want to. So a little bit of a long answer, but it really was started to protect community oncology.
2: So, Jeff, on that, for people who don't understand kind of practice leadership, what would make a practice distressed versus how market cloud helps the practice survive? You prior to One Oncology, huge career at Tennessee Oncology, CEO for many years when I joined one of the largest practices. What kind of things, distressed practices, forcing a consolidation to say a hospital? And then what kind of like, when you're looking at the world, like who's in the room? How are you thinking about, hey, we need to do something different. Tennessee Oncology is doing well. We need to do something differently. Here comes One Oncology.
3: So, a, a couple of things. Uh, one, in, in the fee for servers world, in, in, in healthcare is like politics, it's local. So, whoever has the most market share locally, whether it's a hospital, a physician group, or a payer, whoever has the most density in that market typically wins. And so, if you're in a small practice and the hospital is buying up all of your referring doctors, uh, you know cancer is a referral uh, majority business and so if all of your surgeons work for the hospital all of the pulmonologists and gastroenterologists work for the hospital like i don't care how good you are you know they're they're incentivized to keep those patients in in the health system and so we saw that in market after market after market and so there's a critical uh, a critical point in time where if you don't start growing market share to compete battle those those economic forces then 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 you're going to lose and so um so that was, you know, that's kind of the general uh, um, principles of, of what happens in a local market. But, but again, we saw that I, I'm old enough to have practiced when 85% on claims data, 85% of chemotherapy was given in a private practice community setting in the 80s and 90s. Uh, right after Zofran was invented, you're talking about, you know, all hospital, all, all chemotherapy was given in the hospital uh, because it made people so sick. You had to be in the hospital. We didn't have good outpatient drugs. Zofran was invented. All most all of chemotherapy was then moved to the outpatient setting where it's less expensive. It's more convenient for patients because we were able to to treat them with Zofran and present, uh, prevent nausea. And, and so and then 340B and we don't have enough time to get into all the market forces that created advantages for hospitals and incentivize them to gobble up community based practices. That 85 percent market share in the community is now 40 percent. So we looked at that as Tennessee Oncology and, and, and so somewhat it was altruistic, like let's go teach other people how to do what we've done to you know keep them keep them independent. But also the, the most threatening thing to me, so there's two kinds of consolidation going on in healthcare. One is horizontal, that's you know, hospitals get bigger, health plans get bigger. But what was really threatening to us is, is the vertical integration, where if the payer is also the provider. Is also the, the the PBM or the drug supplier uh, and distributor, which is our business, that was very threatening to us. So I I, I viewed this uh, when I pitched it to uh, Tennessee Oncology when you know when we started one Oncology, I was still at Tennessee Oncology, and I, I said this is both an offensive and a defensive uh, uh, a move. It's offensive in that we're great in our market today and we, like we're not threatened, but we're going to be someday if this vertical and horizontal consolidation continues. So that that was why we did it.
2: Awesome. And I have, I have, do you have a follow up on that?
1: Yeah, I do. It's it's so interesting to me because the way one oncology works, I'm trying to like do it. In my, it's it's horizontal integration. Mm-hmm. But the practices aren't really they're not controlled in any way by one oncology. So it's a mirror. It's, it's interesting how it works.
3: It, it is. I, I call it the best of both worlds where. Uh, practices remain independent. They retain their tax ID. They have a hundred percent clinical autonomy. They have 99% business autonomy, but they're able to participate in large scale economies of scale and right. our buying power. Um, we can help them negotiate with uh, payers. So we, we, we can bring expertise that they don't have. So, so I, you know, in the buy and bill world, you know it's 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 how much you pay for drug and how much you get paid for drug. Didn't go to medical school to be a retail drug salesman, but that's that's what it is today. And so, economies of scale really applies to that. But on the payer side, because we're different tax IDs, we can't negotiate on behalf of the practices, but we can bring in talent who are you know. VP, senior VP uh, level folks who've who've worked for the payers who know the playbook and can teach us. That's one. Two, because we pool resources, um, we're able to buy claims data uh, and we're able to sit down with our payers and say, Well, you know, Tennessee, we know how much you're paying Vanderbilt. You're paying Vanderbilt three times what you're paying us. That's that's not a resource that a, a typical mom and pop practice has. But we bring that kind of expertise. So, again, it's the best of both worlds. You're independent, but you get to participate in in um, the economies of scale in economies of intelligence.
1: It's really changed the game for community oncology practices that are affiliated. It has. It, you would you would hope that your you know, COA would do this for you, but it just can't. It doesn't have the incentive to. And so building this group, it makes a lot of sense.
3: It it, it does. And, and um, there are other um, organizations out there trying to do this and they have, you know, like mind and they want to do these things, but you have to have skin in the game and you have to have capital. Oh, by the way, I mean, it takes, it takes capital to do these things and we have access to capital. Um, You know, most of the, most of these individual, you know, practices are PLLC. So they zero out their books every year and they don't invest in themselves. So we teach them how to invest in themselves. We invest in them. We bring them the know-how of, of how to do development in their local market. Uh, it's a game changer.
1: So you know what, we, all right, I'm going to say one thing and then Stephen gets to talk again. I have so
2: many questions. I, I just,
1: I just <laughs> had a thought. I'm going to throw out the thought and I want to hear your thoughts on the thought. Community oncologists, you guys are brilliant. I'm so sad that I think I kind of am a community oncologist now, but i really felt like I'm missing out by not being a part of this club, but Stephen sort of let me be a part of it. Anyway, you guys are so smart, but now I'm thinking, okay, if one oncology can do this for community oncology practices, could there be a one oncology for all the standalone cancer centers or for even the academic practices that have their cancer center affiliation and why not? Why haven't they done it?
3: Yeah, you know, we, we, we could, I'll tell you why is that part of our premise is, is, um, uh, site of service and cost of care, and so if we enable high-cost medical centers and academic medical centers to be excellent at what we're excellent at, well, then uh, we we just tripled the cost of healthcare. So we 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 want to disrupt them. And there are things that should happen in a hospital, academic medical center. I am not anti-academic medical center. Yeah. I'm anti-academic medical center doing things that should be done in a community where it can be done cheaper.
1: Okay, great. Because I knew and if, better if if you believe. In it, you would have already done it with the Sandal and cancer centers as well. That's why I had to ask the question.
3: Oh, it's, 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 it's like, I, if you think I haven't had that business idea, it's like, oh, there's an opportunity for somebody to do it, but I hope they don't, or if they do,
2: I hope we out-compete them. Jeff, you mentioned economies of intellect as you're scaling across one oncology, which I'll ask you just for the audience that doesn't know the details when you answer this kind of s- one comment on kind of the scale of one oncology. Two billion plus kind of events that have happened in healthcare services on the kind of private sector care delivery side, it's like flat iron health, one oncology over the last five years. I'm sure there's more, especially on the drug side. Those two stand out and I'm sure I'm missing some. Jeff, where does data, I know flat iron was part of the initial discussions, where does that come in and allow one oncology to help practices with things like analytics, value-based care, all that kind of stuff? Um, and then i have a follow-up. Yeah, so, question. so as you
3: guys know, um healthcare is way behind almost every other industry in, in how we use data. Uh, we don't have standards. And so one of the places we started is data is the present and the future of healthcare. And so you have to be on common uh, technology platforms. So we have the same EMR, same practice management, uh, same uh, uh, um, workday, which is you know how, how you administer and, and pay bills and of and your employees and so on. And we have all that data and it feeds into a centralized warehouse. And one of the things that we've invested in more than anything else is data and analytics, both clinically and on the business, um, That that's that's the present. The future, as we go toward taking risks, which not many people are doing in cancer, but at some point we'll be at risk for populations of health. They're he, she, who manages their
2: data best in the value-based world is who's gonna win. And to that, like, not to like repeat what you said, but you're making me think, Jeff, like if you're a small practice to what you asked earlier in the line you have no cap cap it costs money to do innovation if you haven't done it before and if you don't understand how you're doing with some benchmarks or have people help analyze how you're doing it's hard to innovate or perform in a competitive landscape on the capital what's it like jeff how does that and I know private equity gets so many people. I know lots of people in it. It's great. I know lots of people who are like, "Oh my God, private equity is ruining healthcare." You know, private equity is like um,
3: doctors. It's a bell-shaped curve. We have some really good ones, and we have some really bad ones, and and, and most people in between. And so, growth-oriented uh, uh, private equity look for you look for trends in a market. And they and they invest in where the puck's going, and so oncology, obviously, in healthcare, is where most of the innovation's happening, and it's where a lot a lot of the expenses are, are are flowing, and so that means opportunity for a growth oriented uh, private equity company, and so both of our private equity companies have been great. They bring capital, they bring expertise, and and they're they're similar to one oncology and. In- how we interact with the practices giving them ideas. And, and, and again, economies of, of intelligence, private equity does the same thing for for us. And they have access to capital and um, you know, they want to return on that, but you know, as long as you're growing, uh, they're fantastic.
1: An Example of how, so how PE can be an enabler. Cause we do hear a lot of trash talk about PE and healthcare. So I'd love to just hear an example of how they're enabling you guys to do better, do more, Right? They, they have
3: expertise and can touch everything. They open doors on the payer side. They have experience like the ones that we're dealing with. They've done this with other uh, other specialties. So they they kind of know where the where the pitfalls are and they know where governance issues can be. And they know where um, uh, you know they've made mistakes in, in the past. And, and, you know, managing physicians. The other thing I'll say about our model is it's it's beautiful and it's hard because like our doctors don't work for us. They, we work for them. And so we right. manage by influence, which, as you can imagine, uh, is is not the easiest but it's the best again it's the best of both worlds so they do the same thing where they don't come and tell us what to do they want to enable us and, and uh, I, I again they're they big, big private equity companies are connected to every large you know, open doors and expertise are like hey we're thinking about this oh we, we used to own a CRO we'll bring them in they'll tell you what to do if, if we grow we benefit and they benefit you know some of the slash and burn private equity where they you know break up companies they, like that's that's not our thing and that's 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 for other industries. Provider side is they're, growing, they're going to support that and they're going to benefit and we're going and, to benefit. and
2: not to mention, the practices have their own tax ID, hiring, firing. They do. I'm curious about your like, did you think you'd have to spend so much time with policymakers ten years ago versus today, and is that changing?
3: You know, I probably so I'll tell you some short story. So when I first started learning about the business of healthcare, I, I'm, I was like, you know, this is this is crazy that we come out. And hang out a private shingle, and we don't aren't talk anything about business. So, so in a proposition, you're going to be running a three hundred thousand to a million dollar business, and you don't know anything about about healthcare uh, and healthcare business. That that's crazy. Well, the same thing with government relations. Fifty percent of our patients plus come from a government payer. So, one stroke of the pen unintended consequences can be huge. So we have to have influence there. And, oh, by the way, I say this all the time, and it, it, it makes everybody mad except for doctors. Nobody else takes the Hippocratic Oath. Nobody else in every decision they make other than doctors puts the patient first. And so it's kind of our job to go and advocate for our patients and our businesses on the Hill uh, because so much of what we do is affected by, uh, um, you know, what happens in Congress and at CMS.
1: I love that way that you just described it. You're right; it's our job to advocate so that incentives are aligned appropriately, because we know that the incentives are real and they will have an impact on our patients. Yep, yep.
3: And, and nobody knows it better than we do. Once you once you've run a business and a practice. So Jeff,
2: there's no a, a final want. final question.
1: Wait, go I have a question my, after yours. Yeah. So second you to final first. question. I
2: have a good one. All
1: right. The question is not really well formulated, but it's something that is just come up a lot recently. I know at NYU, Perlmutter Cancer Center, scaling clinical trials and bringing clinical trials. You know, we have community practices within our health system, and we want to bring every trial that we have to every community on Island, Brooklyn, New York. Technology has sort of grappled with this a bit, and I'm so interested to hear if you have any insights for for anyone about how to bring clinical trials to network sites that aren't, you know, that aren't. At your center, it's hub.
3: It's, it's not easy. Uh, you know, um, it, it's not a great business, and so we're trying to solve both of those. And, and Tennessee Oncology, had a ton of success in clinical trials. I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know how many uh, patients NYU puts on trial a year, but Tennessee Oncology has averaged twelve hundred a year for years, uh, and you know that's a lot of clinical trial accruals. That's in the community. Um, it has to be part of your culture. So I don't care how good your trial menu is. If if it's not part of the culture of the doctors, um, it's not going to happen. I, I, I it, it, and it's critical because I, I call it the last mile. I stole this from the uh, I stole it from the cable industry that that without doctors that will talk to a patient and enroll them on a trial, it's not going to happen. It doesn't matter how good your trial menu is. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. And so again, we need to get aligned incentives where it's not so hard for the doctors, and it also um, pays off economically, or at least they can break even on it.
2: I can't um, wait. Let I'm I'm me know, not a Jeff. know when you did. Um, all right, f- final question. Um, with all your experience in oncology care, and with one oncology now, and you have this huge platform to continue to innovate with, if you had like your dream, how, what would what would be the greatest successes outside of like curing cancer?
3: What so I'll, I'll start with site of service. Eighty-five percent of chemotherapy used to be administered in the lower cost community center. I'd like to get back closer to that number and we're actively engaged in, in, in helping folks do that. Um, and then too, I, I wanna have every practice in the country that have similar success that Tennessee Oncology have, where you have every doctor putting 10, 15, 20, 50 patients a year on clinical trial. Um, if we do those two things, the innovation will, will fly will and it'll take care of itself.
1: We'll I start. love that. And I mean, that, that's what really needs to be highlighted here. Dr. Patton's career has been in community oncology and this is his goal. Community trial accrual. That's what I think a lot of people miss. They just don't understand access.
3: that. Right, look, if we don't do it, it's not going to happen. I mean, I mean, let's, let's just like academic medical centers and thought leaders, like phase three trials don't interest them. They want to be way upstream to new molecules and new ideas. Um, if we're going to have to answer a question with phase three trials, it has to happen in the community. It's not going to happen at, at, at NYU. It's not going to happen at, at MSK. That's not what they we want to the do.
1: Community. We have community practices too, but yes, agreed.
3: Yes, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll agree on that. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I love it. All right. Emmeline, any closing thoughts? Jeff, thank you. I get to talk to, I get the privilege of talking to Jeff at least once a week and it's great to get to do this. Um, So thank you, Jeff and Emmeline with my best friend here. This is awesome to do together.
1: Jeff, you know, when Steven got the job and signed with you, we celebrated and man, what, what he's been able to accomplish under your mentorship has just been incredible. So uh, thank you for being so good to my guy. Yeah,
2: he's, and it's uh, been a
1: it's been an honor to.
3: to our chat audience,
2: feel free to reach out to Jeff. He's worth talking to. <laughs> uh, well, wants
3: advice on leadership. You, you you guys are great. So uh, you're you're I, I love this idea that you guys are doing this because uh, people get to see the the the, the future of oncology right and fold right before their eyes. Awesome. All right.
2: Thank you, Jeff. All Thanks everyone. It. All right. Thanks.
1: All right.
0: For all of us at AJMC.com, thanks for listening. To learn more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.